Amen. Parables, week two, Luke 7. Our title today is very simple, the story of the forgiven woman, which probably looks different in, if you brought your Bible. She's not always known as the forgiven woman. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Uh, we are in this series about parables uh, because as your leader, I want to give you two main goals for the next six weeks. We want you to be connecting with God. Like, okay, Scott, isn't that always the point? It is. But uh, in this parables series, we really want to elevate that you this summer have a fresh encounter with God. Not just, okay, that was an old story or an old experience. We want all of Bethany and Bethany North to have a new experience with God. And secondly, we want to have relationships restored in our homes, in our churches, certainly in our, in our families of origin in the city. Jesus often told stories to get people to think of their relationships, to think of the, the, the way in which story compares people. In almost every single parable, like today, Jesus said, there's two men. So there's a relationship present. Then Jesus is saying, like, when you see these two men, you see something both in their response to God, and you see something in how we respond to each other. And so my goal as we dive into the series is that each and every week we're thinking, how do I love God more? How do I love people around me more? And that happens through our story being activated. So let me tell you a story from my life. And you know, I love to tell stories because uh, I think that oftentimes we learn from stories. Because when we hear stories, we can find ourselves located. And I can't tell you how many times people say, hey, you remember that time two years ago? You, you know, they're not, when you exegeted the Greek word for to love, and then you, you know, it's like, no, often people are like, hey, there was a time that you told a story about X, but it made me think about Y, and it made me think about my own connection to God and others. Stories matter so much. When I was growing up, I would actually have considered myself for several years in high school as a non-Christian. I was outside the faith. I was raised in a Christian home, but... I really did not connect to the love of God. And a lot of it was because the people that I saw calling themselves Christians, I saw them living in such a way that was out of alignment with what they, you know, they didn't practice what they preach, as the saying goes. And I was like, you know, if this thing isn't real and I don't see people, lives transform, I'm out. I'm out. And then, boom, God changed my life. And I heard the gospel and I responded to the gospel that it wasn't just a bunch of rules in a book, but God's like, I so love you and I so forgive you for living outside, pursuing a life outside me. I want you to come and build a home in me. And when I came to faith in Jesus Christ, yes, I was only 18 years old, but it was fulfillment. It was joy. It was peace. I, I knew enough at that young age to say, that's the life to which I hunger for. And then once I said yes to Jesus, I wanted my life to be lived in response. I wanted to live consistently with the value. So, you know, when I would score a touchdown, humble brag alert, so many touchdowns. Uh, but when I would score a touchdown playing high school football, I would kneel in the end zone and I would pray. When I would go to a party, I would bring a bag of blow pop suckers instead of beer to like hang out with my friends as they were drinking, but I was the guy with the blow pops. And I had this jean jacket and I hated the label on it. It was Polo Ralph Lauren, 
but it was awesome. It was, you know, jean jacket and then like a white corduroy collar thing. Some of you can harken back to like 1990. And I love this thing, but it was rocking this huge, it was an expensive jean jacket. And I worked as a fisherman. I bought it myself, but I, I was like, oh, I don't want to be the, the, the like rich Christian guy that has all the cool clothes. So I wanted to keep the jacket, but remove the label. And I was like one day trying to like take it apart. It was finally my young life leader who really discipled me in Christ. He's like, dude, forget about the label. Forget about like what you're obsessing about, what people are judging you or viewing. Scott, you've, so, you've been so wanting to define a faith by what people view you as that you run the risk of missing the real heart of faith, which is a heart transformed, which is a heart alive by the power of Jesus, which is relationships set free. And see, that's what labels do. Labels judge people. Labels think we can understand somebody's exterior by the label on their jacket or the way that they view this politician or this issue or anything. Like our entire world right now is labeling and judging. And in today's text, we have this Simon the Pharisee that Jesus is like, you've judged correctly about some things, but you don't really see correctly. So there's a difference between judging and seeing. And judging is when we put ourselves in a place of authority of other people. But seeing is when we're open to how God is moving in people's lives. And I'm firmly convinced that our witness to the city will come when we live lives transformed beyond our judgments. And we actually seeing God and seeing others correctly. And so the parable that comes to us in Luke 7 is a very short story in this larger true story where Jesus says, Jesus says there's, there's two men, one forgiven little, one forgiven much. And he says that kind of money statement. If you're forgiven little, you love little. But if you're forgiven much, conversely, you'll love much. And he challenges our propensity to judge others and invites us to see others in order to see ourselves, in order to see Jesus. And that's really what I want to anchor us in today, that we need as a church in a fresh encounters with Jesus' wild grace and mercy and worship and compassion that our lives would be lived in response because radical love evokes radical response. If you've been forgiven much, you will love much. We're just gonna kind of anchor around these three kind of questions. Do you see this woman, Jesus? Do you see others? Do you see yourself? Can we as a church right now in this day, can we see Jesus in new and fresh ways? Let's dive in. Do we see others? Do we see others? This parable has this hidden meaning to this guy, Simon the Pharisee. Simon is a, um, he has thrown a dinner party. And he is a Pharisee. If you're newer to Christianity or what exactly that means, it means he's the Jewish religious leader with the highest of standards. Uh, he, he judges other people. They, they, they had the law of the Old Testament and by following the law perfectly, they thought was true worship of Jesus. And so they were constantly judging themselves. That's often what judgments do. When you're judging others, it's often because there's something in your own life that maybe you feel judged yourself. We're well aware of being judged. 
historically, um, we thought that you know, you're judged by your first impressions. Social scientists said you had about seven seconds to make up your mind about someone else or have them make their mind about you. In the 1990s, some Stanford researchers, Embadi and Rosenthal, they did this uh, research study based on what students would perceive of their college professor with a 10-second clip of teaching, a five-second clip, and then a two-second clip. So they took students who hadn't even enrolled in a class, they showed them a 10-second clip of the professor, and then they, they gave them a five-second clip, other people in a controlled study, and then some a two-second uh, clip. And, and what they were measuring at the end of the semester, uh, what people thought at the beginning to how they measured the actual, you know, greatness of that professor at the end of the semester. Shockingly, the people that in two seconds made an observation about this professor, the, the same truth was found in two seconds as 10 seconds at the end of the semester, uh, their first impressions. Like within knowing just a few seconds uh, of a professor that after four months and, you know, a hundred hours of lectures or whatever it is, they're like, oh yeah, that's exactly what I thought I was going to get out of this class. But interestingly, over the last couple decades, that, that time is shrinking in 2016, a new, uh, new, art, new scientist article by Simon McCann said that we are speeding up as a culture. Now, it takes one-tenth of one second to judge others. It takes a millisecond. And so in the eyes of the world, we say to people, you can judge correctly by something you observe. Someone's hair, somebody's, the way they communicate, something nonverbal about them, the way they dress. The, the way they carry themselves. But the essence of the Christian life says something a little bit different because remember what scripture says in 1 Samuel, that the Lord said to Samuel, don't consider David, the future king, don't consider his appearance, his height. I've, I've rejected him. That's the other brothers of David. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. And so in this story today, you have Jesus reclining at a dinner party. Like literally think of a table. These dinners would last for several hours. Think of Jesus and his friends. They've been invited into Simon the Pharisee's home. They're laying around. People are coming and going. Dinner parties in first century Israel were very much like that. Because they were so long, people would get up. They would, you know, deal with something. They would come back. People from outside the fence could come in and pay attention to somebody and leave. So there was, there was this kind of very dynamic thing going on. And Jesus asked Simon later in the story, he says, do you see this woman? Do you see her? Well, in verse 39 of Luke 7, it says that the Pharisee, Simon is his name, Simon the Pharisee, he, he saw the woman. He saw the woman. The Greek word is horeo, which means to stare, to discern, to judge. He had judged her already as she had been worshiping over Jesus. And he had judged Jesus, as the text says, if this man was really the son of God, if he was really a prophet, he would know. But then after Jesus tells this little parable, he says in verse 44, Simon, do you see her? Do you see her? He changes the word. And the Greek word in this element here, do you see her, is this Greek word blepo, which means to behold something, to look on with regard, to really see something, to really perceive something. And Jesus is challenging Simon. He's like, like you've seen her, you've judged her, but do you, do you perceive her? Are you open to this woman's story? Are you seeing how God is moving through her? Do you really see? 
And I already kind of tipped you off. Like through this series, we're going to keep challenging us as a community. Are we really seeing God? And are we really seeing each other in order that our relationships would be restored? In order that we would be learning to love each other? We're calling people back to a first love emphasis of loving God and loving others. In order to do that, we've got to really see each other. But we, we judge so often. Now, I don't know about what version of the Bible. This is the NIV that I preach out of. And before the text even starts, my subtext, those headers above verse 36, I don't know if you have that in your Bible. Mine says, Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. Like, was she sinful? She was. It's in the text. Is that the main thing about this woman? Or, or is she forgiven? Does she leave transformed? Is she worshipful? Like, it's pretty interesting that there's this textual by the people that kind of put together the NIV that they want me to know, okay, she was a sinful woman, Jesus anointed. I think what's really special about this woman is that she's forgiven. Remember what Jesus says, if you're forgiven much, you love much. This woman's incredible. And Jesus' stories and parables often do center, oftentimes on surprising narratives, oftentimes even by women. And this woman is is the hero of this little text. And Simon misses it because he's judging her. He can't even see who she really is. And he's so busy thinking about her, he's not even worshiping Jesus who's in his home. He's missing the chance to pay respect and honor to Jesus. So psychologists have long traced the mental impact to us when we carry judgment and anger against others, against our own mental well-being. When we judge others, it makes us cynical. When we judge others, it destroys our joy and our happiness. When we judge others, it comes at a cost to trusting others. For those of us raising kids, when we're judging others, our kids are witnessing us, not seeing people for how God sees them, but seeing them for how we judge others. And I'm really, really convinced and convicted that we need new eyes in this season to see God in new ways and to see people around us for how God sees them because we've learned to destroy the image of God in each other, out of the church, even in the church. Author Rich Villadas says, it's a really curious evangelism strategy to despise the people you are trying to convert to Jesus. It kind of hurts a bit. We have to learn to stop judging. We do it all too often. I, I do it too. Sometimes we judge because we're even trying to protect or because we have an image of what God should be doing or how God should be moving. Heather and I, years ago, we wanted our kids to get a different experience of worshiping God outside of just Bethany, our kids, pastor's kids come to church a lot. And we were on a road trip to California. We made a point, we've done it several times now to stop at Bethel Church in Redding, California, which has a very profound worship ministry and prayer ministry. And we've signed up for healing prayer there and different things. But the first time we took our kids to worship there, it was, it was a lot. It was different than sometimes the you know, more traditional or restrained aspects of worship that I think Bethany sometimes aligned with. And there's people waving flags and people just, you know, going just all out, you know, dark lights, big music. And I know the skeptic would be like, oh, it's kind of a rock show, but I'm telling you there was something else going on in the room. It was, it was worshipful, but I was judging it 
because I had my kids with me and I, I thought they would be turned off by like how big it was or the flags even, right? And I'm like kind of getting nervous and get worried. I'm like, I just so want these kids to connect to you, Jesus. And I, I want them to, to get this like being able to see you with their whole lives and all this kind of wild stuff's going on around. It's too much, it's too much. But later, one of my daughters said, that was one of the most powerful times I've ever had with the Lord because people were worshiping like they meant it. See, our worship reveals the amount we think we've been forgiven, the amount we think we've been loved. And I'm, not, I'm certainly not judging you if you're like, hey, I'm just not comfortable, Scott, with the hands raised, the, the, you know, the flags. There's no judgment. But there is an invitation, because I do think it's worship, which is a front door to our adoration, to show God, I, I want to live my life following you. And, and we make an intellectual ascent a big thing. It is. The transformation of our minds, Paul says. But what Jesus says is something in this woman's story is meant to be replicating. Do we see others well? And then in turn, Jesus is going to turn the story to Simon. Do you see yourself like, how do we see ourselves in this story? How does Simon see himself? For us, as we're in this series, how do we, how do we see ourselves? So Jesus tells this little story to Simon about one man forgiven 50 denarii and another man forgiven 500. And then the invitation to Simon seems to be like, where are you, Simon? Like, where do you find yourself in the story? And in this way, Jesus is connecting seeing to response. And he's saying to Simon, if, if you really see this woman, you'll find your own story. As you learn to see others, you'll learn to truly see yourself. Lydia did a wonderful job last week setting up this series. If you weren't here, you can go back and listen to it. But she taught on the, the second Samuel story of Nathan coming to David and David having this judgment against a story that's told to him by Nathan, his pastor. And then Nathan saying, you're the man. You're that man that you're hating in other people. And isn't it true? We often can despise something we see in the world because it's triggering something that we're scared to see about ourselves. For David, that moment helped him see himself. He wrote Psalm 51 after judging this man. And in Psalm 51, he says, Have mercy on me, God, according to your love, according to your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away my sin. Cleanse me. I know my failures, God. My sin's always before me. So it was after he judged that he learned to see himself. In today's text, Simon, he, he knows the law. He knows the hospitality ethic given all the way back to Abraham, that guests were to be honored if they came into your home with their feet washed. It was the way of the Pharisee to follow every rule, and yet Jesus shows up and his feet don't get washed. Either he was purposefully trying to ignore Jesus and trying to kind of shame him or like kind of send him some kind of subtle, you know, diss, or he was just busy. I, I personally think he probably was just busy throwing a big party. Like when we throw parties at our house, like if you come 20 minutes early to a party at my house, shame on you because it's going to be like a disaster. Like one of my best friends just came 20 minutes early to Avery's graduation party. I'm like, dude, what are you doing here? What? Why are you here before the party starts? And then you come on time. Hello, 
welcome. Like, oh yeah, we've been just bra- we're just resting all day, we're ready to you, for, for you to come into this perfectly clean home, right? Uh, so this man, he 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 Simon, he he misses it. He's busy or he's dissing Jesus and he doesn't even honor her. But this woman, she's the hero of the story. She models vulnerability. She models what it is to just pour herself out at the feet of Jesus. And church, I need you to hear me on this. Our authority right now and our impact and our, our greatest strength will come from our vulnerability and our worship. When we learn to lay ourselves down humbly, that's where God says, okay, now you're ready to lead. Now you're ready to have authority. Now you're ready to show others my great love because you were willing to, to wash my feet. You were willing to be humble. You were willing to come forward. You were willing to raise your hand. You were willing to say, Jesus, forgive me. You were willing to say, when things got hard in your marriage, God, what do I need to do different? You're willing to, that, that disagreement with your kid, and it's like summer break, is it September yet? You're willing to say, Jesus, change me. Man, the older I get, the more aware of my own brokenness I am. And I wish that wasn't the way. I wish I could just tell you, be like me, Pastor Scott, oh, holy one. And if you can just follow these three rules, you will never make a mistake again. It's just not the way. No, God's greatest blessings are for like this woman, those willing to lay themselves down at the feet of Jesus. Not once when you come to faith, but every time you have an opportunity to look at your own brokenness. That's what this woman models, brokenness. She was willing to deal with her own brokenness. This alabaster jar, Luke is careful to say, it's not just a jar, it's not just a container, it's alabaster. And an alabaster container is significant for this reason because in the ancient world, an alabaster jar was created to hold its contents forever until you broke open the top, releasing the ointment and the aroma, and then you would pour it out. Often it was a single-use container. That's the thing with alabaster jars, that you have to be broken in order for it to be poured out. And this woman, this forgiven woman, this vulnerable woman, this incredible woman, Jesus has likely, scholars said, already forgiven her earlier in the day, and she's coming back in vulnerability. She's entering a place where she knows she's going to be judged, but she says, I don't care how the world sees me. I want to pour myself out. She breaks open the jar and she just pours it over Jesus' feet. And then between her hair and the ointment and and her tears, she's just worship. She's worshiping. Friends, oftentimes our brokenness comes as a prerequisite to being filled by Jesus. Because as we're broken, like the alabaster jar, our aroma, our good deeds by the Spirit of God are released into the world. And there's so many biblical people that their brokenness is revealed after their calling. They, they get called to Jesus. And it's not like onward and upward. No, no. Like look at the scriptures. Elijah, after his calling, he's hiding in a cave. Jonah, after his calling, he's like, God, I don't want to go to Nineveh. Paul's shipwreck, Sarah's infertility, Ruth's widowhood. God's people will deal with brokenness. We must. We must. We stop judging the world. We start looking at Jesus. How do you want to change me? 
And Jesus says, your own brokenness and your own death and your own kind of dying to yourself is a prerequisite to being filled by the Spirit. Jesus would say in John 12, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. It's limited. But if it's dead, if it's broken, it produces many, many seeds. There's this great Chinese theologian who's passed, Watchman Nee, he said, the basic difficulty of servants of God lies in the failure of our inward humanity to break through our outward humanity. We must recognize before God that the first difficulty to our work is not in others, but in ourselves. Our spirit seems to be wrapped in a covering which cannot easily break forth. He continues, if we have never learned how to release our inward man by breaking through the outward man, we're not able to serve. Nothing can so hinder us as this outward man. Whether our works are fruitful or not depends upon whether our outward man has been broken by the Lord so that the inward man can pass through this brokenness and come forth. This in a statement specifies the problem. The Lord wants to break our outward man in order for the inward man to have a way out. When the inward man is released, both unbelievers and other Christians will be blessed. Brokenness is necessary. Lord, change me. Change me. Like, I, I got a lot to say about what's going on in the world, about what's going on in social media, about what's going on, and all those things matter. First, change me. Help me, God, love you. Help me love others. Change me. When Heather and I were first married, or, or getting married, the pastor who married us, our mentor, Jerry Sitzer, he said, you know what marriage is? It's like a lathe, a woodworker. And, you know, I was in seventh grade shop, so I was like, oh, I get that. We took a piece of block a block of wood, we put it on the lathe and it starts to spin. And then you took tools and kind of shape it. And we were trying to make, you know, like lamps and baseball bats and didn't quite turn out like that because we were, you know, 11 or whatever. But I get a lathe. I'm like, Jerry, I love that metaphor. First five years of marriage, we'd have friends like, man, marriage is hard. And you know, I was like, mm, yeah, it must be you, you know, because I didn't say it, of course. I was like, oh yeah, you know, I was judging them. But then when we hit our patch of difficulty, because every relationship does, I was like, oh, things dying inside of me, things shaping me, God choosing through my wonderful spouse, the things in me that God wanted to reveal to change. It's easy to judge others. But the job of the Christian is to say, God, will you change me? Help me see myself. How do we see others? How do we see ourselves? Ultimately, what this text is about how do we see Jesus? How do we see Jesus in such a way that our lives would be transformed, that our city would be transformed because we're so poured out in worship? This incredible woman models this authentic worship. We've got to be a church coming back or discovering authentic worship. And I said earlier, you know, you don't, you don't have to raise your hand when you're worshiping God or you know, is it the touchdown of worship or like the hand, you know, there's all like, that's a whole thing. You can kind of make fun of ourselves or how we worship God. But there's something that happens when I raise my hand in worship or I open my hands in worship or I open my hands when I pray. There's something that happens with my body where I'm trying to break through the shell of my flesh to say, Jesus, let my spirit out. You've been so good to me. He tells this story. One man 500 denarii, another man, 50. Who will love the forgiver more? Simon's pretty guarded. He said, I suppose the man that's forgiven more. He's forgiven a year and a half wages. 
in Seattle terms, what's that's 50 to $100,000. Jesus tells a story about a money lender. Money lenders by business don't forgive debts easy. But Jesus is saying, that's what my love is like. It's forgiveness for all. And the ones that are forgiven the most often will love me the least guarded because they're open to dealing with their brokenness. They're grateful for their life transformed. There's an encouragement, church. Can we be like this woman, this forgiven woman? Can we be like this woman who Jesus just looks on her after she's weeping, after she's poured out her valuable ointment, after she's wiping? Think how close she has to be to the feet of Jesus. She's right next to him because nearness matters to the heart of God. Can we be like her? Jesus looks at her and says, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Anybody want peace this morning? Anybody want forgiveness this morning? Anybody want more of Jesus this morning? Anybody want more of that love of God? I mean, I could get up here this Sunday above all Sundays, but any Sunday. We could just talk about like, okay, here's all the brokenness in the world and all of our disagreements over the last seven days. I don't want to do that today. I want to preach about Jesus' great love for you. I want to tell you that God is so for you, that he wants to have a fresh encounter with you. He wants you to feel like the 500 denarii person in the story. He wants you to feel like this woman. He wants you to be reminded of his great love. Because he knows that if you come face to face with that radical love story, it will be transformative for your relationships, for how you think and practice justice and mercy. It's got to start, though, by the way of the heart. Do we see Jesus? Will we be a church pouring ourselves out in worship this morning? I've got a lot of things I want us to to do as a church. I, I love doing things. I really do. Like, let's go paint a building and serve broken people and love the addicted and all that is really important. It all comes after first love. Loving God and loving others. And letting that adoration and the forgiveness that the Father has poured out through the Son into our life and gifted us through the Spirit of God, letting it come out in worship. We are the forgiven ones. Radical love requires radical reaction, a radical commitment to saying, Jesus, I want to experience you again. I want to know you. It's been a long time. I want to experience you. When I came to faith in Jesus Christ, there was this incredible encounter for me where I knew God would change me in a moment what I am reminded now is the lifetime of every single day being reawakened to that love. Seeing myself as both a forgiven one and the forgiver of others and having fresh encounters with the Holy Spirit. So this is going to be your opportunity for something we don't often do. In just a moment, I'm gonna pray and we're gonna encourage people to come forward in worship because I said there's something that happens to us when we move our bodies in commitment to the things we're thinking about Jesus, but we're trying to move our bodies in sync that our lives would be lived in response to this radical love. Because Jesus 
sees you as this incredible forgiven woman who he loves so, so much. So let me pray, call the band. I'm gonna introduce what comes next. Jesus, thank you so much for a moment to just be mindful that you are shaping us. You are changing us. You are calling us to, to experience your radical love and that calls us to move and calls us to respond and calls us to be shaken awake. God, we know that it is a fresh encounter with your great love, which is the very fuel to allow us to love people well and stop judging and see them as you see them, as forgiven and loved and equipped and called. God, we are the forgiven ones. We are the woman in this story. We are the 500 plus denarii that's been forgiven a great debt. And you've called us freed. You've called us loved. You've called us holy. You've called us good. God, could we live from that place this morning? Could we have a fresh encounter with your incredible love that we would leave this place changed? In your great name we pray, amen. So every single Sunday, uh, we invite people to come forward for prayer. And we'll have prayer ministers on the side. I want to call our prayer ministers forward now. You're welcome to come and get into place. And we're going to sing a couple of songs, which we always do. I'm going to invite you to prayer. If there's somebody in your life that you've been judging or you feel judged by, if there's a specific prayer, we have prayer ministers that are trained and equipped and called to pray with you. We would love to pray with you this morning. In addition to that, we're going to do something that we haven't done in a very long time. But what this forgiven woman models for us is humility, is dependency, is hunger. We want to be hungry for the Spirit of God. We want to be the people that don't just think about Jesus, but have encountered Jesus. This 18-inch journey from our head to our heart is where a lot of people get lost. We want to be living out from the sacred heart of Christ, people connected to the heartbeat of God. This woman, in touching the feet of Jesus, you can't, you can't do that with an email. You've got to be close. You've got to be close. So as we sing and as God moves you, I want to invite you to come and pray up front. I want you to come and invite you to, to like, really, Scott, here? Yeah, right here. I want you to invite you to just come up and kneel at this stage. Stand by a speaker. Come forward. If you need God's power in fresh ways, Come. If you need God's healing in fresh ways, come. If there's a relationship that needs restored, come. I'm thinking mothers to daughters, husband to wife, friends. If there's a loneliness in your life, come. You're like, oh, Scott, you don't know. My knees, I can't even. That's fine. Come and stand. Because something happens for you when you model the dependency that you carry in your heart. And I know we don't often do this. And for some of you, you're like, I just, I'm not coming today, Scott. I'm like, okay, I love you too. Jesus loves you too. Remember, both the 50 and the 500, all are forgiven in the economy of God. If it's not the right day for you to come or you're still considering Christ, that's okay. You can pray right where you're at. But I do want us to be a community of faith that models hunger for Jesus. I don't know about you. I don't want to play it safe. I don't want to be who I was a couple years ago. I don't want to be stuck in my old ways. I don't want to be the things that I was. I need Jesus to change me. We need Jesus to change us. 
So will you model that hunger for us as a faith community? I want to invite you to stand right now. I want to invite us to sing right now. If God is asking you to come forward for prayer, I want you to come and pray with prayer minister. And for anyone that's so willing, this altar is open. Come and pray and experience God's great love and forgiveness over you this day.